The following message is from Life Source Christian Church MP3 Audio Lounge. More information about Life Source is available at lifesource.org.au. Isn't he a likable man? I met him at state conference. I thought, what a good bloke. I'd love to go to his church. Do you ever feel like that? You, you can't figure out why God made you a senior pastor and you meet someone nice and think, I think I'll just go to their church. That'd be, that'd be a lot easier. Um, I was brought up over Manly Way, Rosette Epping. She went to, um, what was the name of your school? I never Cheltenham Girls High. I went to St. Augustine's College at Brookvale. She loved school and cried when she left, and I cried because I was so happy to finally get out of school. Yes. Um, I just want to um, thank you guys for being such great district leaders. At, even at State today, they were talking about what great leaders they are, so well done. Thank you. I just want to honour Chris because he's the nicest State Secretary I've ever met in all my time. And congratulations, Nathaniel. I'm going to use you as a preaching point later on, but it's good, so don't panic. It's okay. Um, and I just felt I had a word for you, Glenn. Um, I was thinking how watching you lead tonight, you just, I can tell you're a surfer because you move gracefully and it's like the conductor of the orchestra, but I thought you move well. And the Holy Spirit said to me when I had that thought, he moves well and his feet are good and I've anointed his feet. Your feet are fitted with the gospel of grace. But I feel like there's an anointing coming that's going to get stronger. You know, you know how... Most of us don't have it, but some guys in the Bible and some pastors, you know, almost like Brian, set their, their foot on a certain bit of land and they just have it and stuff happens. I feel like there's some kind of anointing God's going to start to give you from now on where when you feel led, don't hesitate. Put, put your foot there and stuff's going to start to move in the spiritual realm so you don't have to fear it. Just, just go with it and, and stuff's going to happen for you in a graceful way. All right, um, I'm going to share first and then, Roz, uh, you know when you go to marriage seminars and they go, rate your marriage out of 10 and all the guys put, it's an 8, it's really good, I get my own way a lot and stuff like that. And the girls always rate it about 4 to 6 because they're just a lot smarter emotionally and nousy about relationships. So in our church, I like to kind of just encourage everyone and go home and say how wonderful it all is. But Roz looks under the rocks. And she fixes stuff and she addresses things. And it's one of the reasons why our church has grown so much because I kind of just want to go and have a good time and she actually wants the thing to work right. Um, and I appreciate that about her. So I'm going to encourage you in God because that's my thing is getting you really motivated about God. But she's going to teach you how to look under rocks tonight and um, that'll actually help you grow your church. I just I want to share five pearls of grace, just some stuff I've learned over the years that'll encourage you. But... Before I do, I just want to read some out of Psalm 139 because I can share pearls of grace with you, but they won't be grace to you if you don't get what this psalm says. Um, grace can be actually very threatening um, if you don't see it right. Or you know how you, some, you too often think God's ticked off with you? The Bible says we all fall short. And one of the things that Jesus loves is when you take your falling shortness to him in your prayer time. You go, here I am. I fall short. He goes, I know. And thanks for trusting me. Because he died for a reason. He, he's not sitting there ticked off. You need to know that. So I just want to read to you from here so you just get that right. Um, first few verses. Oh, Lord, you have examined my heart and know everything about me. You know when I sit down or stand up. You know my thoughts even when I'm far away. You see me when I travel and when I rest at home. You know everything I do. You know what I'm going to say even before I say it. You go before me and follow me. But watch this. 
He doesn't belt you over the head. You place your hand of blessing on my head. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too great for me to understand. I can never escape from your spirit. I can never get away from your presence. So just based on that, a really good way to start your prayer time is to just sit there and let God love you. That's, that's not a bad way to start. I'll just go to verse 13 and read one other bit because it's important. I love this. Um, I'm starting, my fresh manner for you tonight is this. I'm just starting and I'm realising we're not just on the earth by accident. We've been given the gift of life and we've got to do something with it. We're actually sent from heaven in the first place. And I wanted to show you just something in this scripture that talks about that. You made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvellous. How well I know it. This is the bit. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion. Now, I studied that in a whole lot of parts of the Bible. And it means that. You know how Jesus was the lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world? Um, He chose you in him before the foundation of the world. So there was a time in eternity before the world was created where God sat and stopped and considered just you in utter seclusion, like when you have your prayer and you just shut everything out and it's just you and him. And he just thought about you and how he would make you and what gifts he would give you and what your love language would be and, and what the plan would be. And then, and then he sends you. And if you think about it, how the world's a mess, I, I don't think God just sits up there with the next lot of people that are going to be born next year and just chucks the seed and go, oh, I hope something happens out of that. I, I, I think he, he considers and plans and sends people with redemptive gift and, and create it in a way that they can make a difference on the earth. And he had that hope for you when he sent you. So I just wanted you to get that, and I'll quickly just do five pearls. The first one is this. It cost someone their life for me to get saved. And it wasn't just Jesus. We're at Teachers College, at Karingai Teachers College, not far from here. It's probably a uni now. And a girl was a Christian in our year. And in our last year of college, she was killed in a car accident. She was thrown out of the vehicle. She wasn't wearing a seatbelt. And she died. And we went to the funeral. We were going out with boyfriend and girlfriend. Um, I didn't know the gospel, but Roz knew a little bit about it. And they shared the gospel at her funeral. And it started us on a quest that um, we eventually got became Christians at the end of that year. But I just wanted to, I wanted to say that because um, it cost someone their life. So I, I just want you to watch this because there's big revelation for you with Jesus in this. There's a guy named Phil Camden that used to be on the state executive. He's a pastor in Newcastle. Um, gave his church to Hillsong, Newcastle. He's a terrific guy. He has motor neurone disease, and that was why he had to hand his church over. It's a terrible disease. He asked God to heal him a number of times, and God didn't heal him. And at state conference last year, you might have heard him interviewed, and he shared, and I thought it was the most powerful moment I had ever experienced at a conference. And he talked about how God said, no, I'm not going to heal you. And he joined the motor neuron you know, support group. He led people to the Lord there. We actually invited him to preach in our church. He hobbled up onto the stage and he had some, a, a man in the front row and a few other people from the support group. And some of them got saved that morning. And one of the guys you know, was fairly advanced in motor neuron disease. They helped him into church. And we, you know, I think about three weeks later, we had that man's funeral in our church. Now, I I want you to watch this. Phil shared with our leaders, you know, not long after that, and he said, I am 
the yes behind the no. When Neil got saved in your church, Mark, he was the yes behind God's no to me. Now, I want you to watch this. Jesus in the garden says to God, can you take this cup from me? What was the answer? The answer was no. Whoa. So here's the deal. You are the yes behind the Father's no to Jesus. And I don't know if you've ever thought about that. We often think about, you know, Jesus dying for us and what it cost him. But what about the Father? I'm a dad now. I've seen my daughter's marriage break up. You know, I've, to, to say no to his one and only son so you could come in. There's so much love in that. That's why it's just so good to spend time with him. That's how much he loves you. Okay. Uh, Second thing. In Christ, there is always another move. I've been checkmated by the devil a few times in my life. One was um, trying to get Roz to marry me. took seven years and I was continually checkmated and just couldn't crack it until God actually did his thing. Um, When we did our building, we have a beautiful building, not quite as big as this, almost as big, but just a beautiful building that took us 12 years to do. It was supposed to take two and it took 12. And it was so many times in that process we were checkmated. The first one, it was too scabby, you know, and we just started again. The next one was way too expensive, $5 million for stage one. And I rang Ian Wood when he was state president and he's like, no, no, too much, too much. So he rescued us and we started again. Um, And so it went. So I know what it is when the devil says checkmate. But do you realise when the devil says checkmate, he's lying? So let's just listen to this story. It's only short. There's a story of an artist who painted a picture of a young man who was playing chess with the devil. The loser would have to become the servant of the winner. In the painting, the devil declared checkmate in three moves. The young man's pale face reflected the horror upon hearing those ominous words of certain defeat. But a chess player, this is a true story, Paul Morphy, stared at the picture, studying all the configurations of the various pieces. Suddenly he shouted, young man, there is a move. The painter had overlooked a possible combination of moves. It was not checkmate after all. Christ came to earth to tell us that it only looks as if Satan has us in his grasp. And he'll do that. You know, I don't know about you, but to me, the most common lie he says to me when there's a trial or a test and I feel like I'm losing, he says, it's always going to be like this. He never says, don't worry, just hang in there for another 10 minutes or 10 days or 10 weeks. He says, it's always going to be like this, but it's a lie. So I just want you to know that because we've seen some of the most, you know, been in the ministry long enough to see some of the most amazing comebacks. Oh, I just want, Ross, just come here. I just wanted to show you this. One of our young planters, Dave and Eve, have planted in Hornsby, the Hive Church. They're here tonight. Good to have you guys with us. We love you guys. Um, One of our other pastors we sent out preached this the other day. It was brilliant. So say I'm God, right? A bad representation of it. I'm God. Ros is a Christian. So Ros is standing there trusting God. Do I have to do anything? No, I don't. She's just... Trusting God. It's not doing anything though. But if she leans back and leans on me because she can't do something in her own strength and she goes, I'm leaning on you in this God. I'm not taking it into my own hands. What's happening? My strength is activated. 
so here's the deal. <laughs> Thank you. Trusting, trusting is good, and it's, you know, something starts there, and it's very important, but until you lean, nothing out of God's activated. Whoa. So it's not just trusting. You have to add leaning to it. All right. Let me move on to Nathaniel Wood. Jesus saves the best wine to last. I thought, wow, that's a heck of a position you've just been appointed to. And well done on your journey. Um, And I bet along the way you wouldn't imagine that happening. Or do you know what I mean? When when church for all of us, it's never what we wanted it to be, is it? It's like, what's going on? Um, But Jesus saves the best wine to last. We're not so much human beings on a spiritual journey as we are spiritual beings on a human journey. It's the human stuff that stuffs us up. Our plans, God doesn't cooperate with them very well, does he? That's why listen and obey is so important. Joel Osteen says this, Sometimes God doesn't stop trouble coming to you. He uses it to transport you to where you need to be so he can then bless you and use you to help others. I think of Moses and I think of Joseph. Moses almost just chucked into the river as a last-ditch attempt to save his life. And you know the whole story. It's just an incredible story how his own mother gets picked to look after him in the palace. But because he's raised in the palace, he leads a nation. And then when Israel's going to go down the tubes, it saves a nothing. There was a lot of trouble. Same with Joseph. A lot of trouble to get him to the place where he could save the nation. You and I, as senior pastors and volunteers and leaders, will go through lots of trouble. It says, don't be surprised at that. I don't want it. I run from it like you do, but it just keeps showing up. I get lots of unfair rewards as well. I get lots of grace in things I don't deserve and I get lots of trouble in things I don't deserve because you're a threat to the enemy like, like you are. You, you obey God and so the enemy resists you and God allows it because the resistance makes you stronger and when you get that strength and you've been through something, that qualifies you to minister to people. That's why leaders are a pain in the butt who've never been through anything because they say, ah, oh, just get over it. But what about when a leader goes, wow, Mark, my kid's been through divorce too. Let, let's just sit and talk about that. How you feeling? Like you just think, oh, a real person. That's the kind of ministry Jesus raises up. And it's out of that that the best wine ends up coming. Um, and I, I just wanted to show you this. Peter wept bitterly but ended up a martyr. Thomas backslid and goes, unless I can see the scars and put my finger in, I will not believe. What about John the Baptist? Jesus said to John the Baptist, of men born of women, there's none greater than John the Baptist. So he's the greatest guy who ever lived outside of Jesus. And he's he's Jesus' cousin, raised up with him, knew the whole deal. But when he's in prison about to be beheaded, he sends his disciples to ask, are you the Messiah? See, he has this moment of incredible doubt. And by the way, that was another no. Jesus didn't go, you know, Peter and the dudes, or Paul had, you know, the chains fall off in prison, but John didn't. He got beheaded. That's why the ultimate kind of faith in the Bible, Job or or Shadrach, Job goes, though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. Shadrach, Meshach, and Benah, our God will deliver us, but even if he doesn't, we will not bow down. It's not bad just to, when you're up the mountain next time, just to get that seed right because sometimes when it's tough, that, that needs to be in place. You, go, you know what? It's a bit too tough for me now, but I will not bow down. 
I'm going to hang in there. You might not have to activate it much, but you need that kind of seed in you. I think I've finished. How much how am I going for time? Have I been 20 minutes yet or not? No? Ros? Say something. Okay, two minutes. Because uh, I want to do a little thing on marriage before I hand over. I, I won't read this to you. I was going to... The fourth pearl was some seed takes a long time to bear fruit. I've got an email just sitting here that I got last Christmas from a girl who I taught when she was in third class when she was eight years old, when I was a school teacher. She's now 42 years old. She said last year, after a lot of domestic violence and a broken marriage, and she tells the story, I sat in my car to commit suicide with my two boys. I remember you saying to us when I was in third class that if ever you're going to commit suicide, always call out to God first and ask him for some help. And she called out to God. She said, I've got no memory because I've been battered so much, but can you just give me something from the days when Mr. Zare taught us about you? And she tried to remember, and he quickened this song to those who uh, trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which shall never be removed but shall remain forever. She said, I sat in the car and I sang that song and I cried. God spoke to me that night and reminded me he's stronger and I can trust him no matter what. I chose to keep living that night and not kill myself as I had planned. Now I'm leaning on God. She says, sorry for rambling on, but I wanted you to know that you planted that seed in my heart when I was eight and I'm now 42. We've since contacted her and got her help and got her into a church. But I just wanted to encourage you with that. I'm just sitting in the office and the email comes in, seed you planted that long ago. So never give up on it, will you? Especially if it's your own kids, eh? Like the changes will come. Last thing, we had a sabbatical after 25 years at church centres away. Um, We went away and had a great time, but our intimacy had slipped. And I'm not talking about sex life. I'm just talking about relating to each other well and really appreciating each other, you know, busy with the church and all that. And we kind of had a few hassles, not bad ones, and just went, our intimacy's just, we're going through the motions, what is it? And I was listening to the radio, and I don't even know if this person was a Christian, but they just said five things that really helped us that we've, we've used. It was like m- the maths of relationships. So he, here was the five things. If you want your marriage to last, have a five-to-one ratio of positive comments over negative ones. That's five compliments for every whinge. Or five gratitudes for every struggle that you declare. Not bad, because that will create the atmosphere you live in. Um, Second one was hug longer. Hug for at least 20 seconds. We went, man, we only hug for about two seconds. Pat, pat, you know, like. So we're now hugging for 20 seconds. So if you see us hugging in the foyer tonight, it'll take a little while. Um, (laughs) Kiss for six seconds. But we haven't kissed for six seconds for a long time, so we've been kissing for six seconds. Regular touching is good, as in affection, non-sexual touching, just, just being nice to each other, holding hands in the car, all that stuff. And the last one was this, freaked my wife out, because she's a sanguine, she likes lots of people. If we, go, if we go, let's have someone for dinner, I'm thinking one other couple so we can have a really good conversation, she thinks probably 30 or 40 would be nice. <laughs> Um, so this is what they said, and I'm glad you heard it. Have a date night at least once a week. No kids, no friends, just the two of you. 
So when we heard it on the radio, I'm going, woo! She's like, no! <laughs> but we've been doing that, and it's really helped our university. So can you give my beautiful wife a welcome? She's the love of my life. Thanks, Roz. Thanks, Mark. How are you all? Uh, thank you for the cherry ripe slice and the Portuguese tart. Who loves all those things? Um, so on behalf of the state, I just want to really thank you for all that you do, for the kingdom of God and for his magnificent church, counting the cost for sacrifice. Um, we're just in a great movement, aren't we? Yeah. I love our movement. I grew up in a very... Um, conservative movement and I hated it. I thought I'm going to become a Christian when I'm 65. I'm just going to go out and party, 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 party. And at 65, I'm going to become a Christian. I got all my bases covered. Um, but anyway, didn't end up like that. And I'm so glad it did because even though I might look 65, I'm not 65. I still wouldn't be a Christian. <laughs> all right. So um, it is a privilege being in ministry, isn't it? But it wasn't always like that for myself, when we started the church about 20, um, when we took over on the church 27 years ago, had 20 people, and they asked me we on the Central Coast, loving being associate pastors, why wouldn't you love the Central Coast? And they called us to Newcastle, 20 people, um, and Mark went to preach and took me with him, and I sat up the back, and when the service had finished, when he finished preaching, he came up, and I was crying, and Mark said, wow, Ros, did I preached that well. You're really being touched by the Holy Spirit. And I said to him, I hate this place. <laughs> and, um, but anyway, um, God spoke and I went dragging my feet all the way up to Newcastle. And anyway, after I'd been there two years, two years, um, a beautiful, ample bosomed woman came and gave this non-ampled bosom woman a big hug and she just said to me she said you've lost your joy and I said I have lost my joy and um, she said you've got to find your joy you've got to get your joy back and um, you know that's one thing I would say to you in all the seasons of life make sure you keep your joy because devil goes after our joy because if he gets our joy he gets our strength so make sure you keep your joy all right um, I want to just um, speak briefly on this topic. Take another look at the elephants in the room. Okay, and um, this is a joke. I'm not very good at telling jokes, but I continue telling jokes. Um, I bought my friend an elephant for her room. She said, thanks. I said, don't mention it. <laughs> yes. All right. Um, you can use it if you like. It's profound. When I was 17... Um, I was going out with a young man. He was a state-ranked tennis player, blonde hair, very athletic, but there was no chemistry. I wasn't a Christian. So I remember at Epping Railway Station saying to him, look, uh, I think we need to have a break. We need to go on a bit of a break. And he said, oh, fair enough, we'll go on a bit of a break. But in my head, I'm thinking, it's over, Jacko. Never want to see you again. And um, so... About a month later, I just started going out with Mark. And there was a couple of flat ties on the way home for Mark and a few scuffles that 
in parties. But other than that, it was never mentioned again. Until 20 years later, Mike and I are married, we've got three kids, we pull up at Shoal Bay uh, for a night away and I look behind me and there is the athletic state-ranked tennis player getting out of his car. And I went, oh, this is a bit awkward. And... Um, <laughs> So we're standing there and just doing nice talk, nice talk. And Mark turns to him and says, excuse me, such and such, I won't say his name. Um, Roz has something to tell you. And I look at him and I go, oh, yeah. You know how I said uh, that we're just going to go on a break? I said, it wasn't a break. It was like, it was a breakup. And he looked at me and he went, oh. I figured that. <laughs> water under a bridge, water under a bridge. And it was a very awkward moment, but it was like the elephant in the room. And we finally, 20 years later, dealt with the elephant in the room. Ephesians 4, 15, 16 says this. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead... Speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. And one of the signs of maturity in Christ is being able to speak the truth in love. Uh, Ephesians 4.25 in the message is, says it beautifully. Uh, what this adds up to then is this, no more lies, no more pretense, tell your neighbour the truth. In Christ's body, we're all connected to each other. After all, when you lie to others, you end up lying to yourselves. So as leaders, we need to develop the skill of dealing with elephants in the room. A few years ago, we had a, a staff member. There was a big elephant in the room, but I, I didn't mention it. Um, I dropped hints. I did all the Christian things. I dropped hints. I prayed. I now and again even mentioned it in my preaching um, but it was a very sensitive issue. I knew it was going to really blow up. Um, and um, so that all the rest of the team could see the elephant because the rest of the team can always see the elephant. And consequently, it did lead to a mess and a breakdown in a relationship. And since that time, there's something in me that's thought, God, I don't want to be a leader like that. I want to be a leader that is brave that speaks the truth, that protects the body, and I want to be mature. Um, because our churches need to be based on truth, our leadership needs to be based on truth, we build a healthy church on truth, and the more truth in our team, the more freedom. Um, Peter Scazzaro says this about himself. He says, passivity and avoidance of ele elephants will kill me and my ministry. Elephants in the room refer to an inappropriate or immature behaviours that remain unacknowledged and unaddressed. Such elephants can run wild and free among our marriages, our homes, our churches, our teams. So why is this so prevalent? 
And just as I go through these just a couple of points, you might just have a little dealing with elephants inventory in your head and think, yes, that's me, that's not me. Um, so why is it so prevalent? The first one is the influence of our family of origin. What was your family of origin like in speaking the truth in love, in dealing with elephants in the room? Many of us grew up in families with multiple elephants. We are accustomed to elephants, large and small, freely rowing roaming amongst us. The next thing is we hate mess. Who loves mess? None of us like mess. And we know that if we address the elephants, sometimes it can guess, get worse um, and it can get more painful. Um, so we want to sweep it up in, under the carpet and pretend it's not there. Hopefully it'll go away by itself. Um, but dealing with elephants, I have learned, is a lot... Um, it might be painful in the short season, but um, not dealt with causes a lot more pain later on and can spread and, and, and cause damage to his beautiful church. Number three, we are busy. Depending on the size of the elephants, some have been growing for years. It takes a lot of time and energy to move them. We've, but we forget that that's what leadership is about. It's about discipleship. Dealing with elephants is a central part of what it means to be a leader. This is our role. We cannot abdicate. This is why I'm called to leadership. We're called to discipleship. Elephants show up everywhere. They have to be dealt with often. Difficult conversations have to be dealt with often. But this is what I have found. It's a great opportunity for us to grow. It's a great opportunity for us to mature. And it's a great opportunity for us to enrich our relationships with our team and develop authenticity. And that's what we want, don't we? Number four, failure of nerve. We like to be liked. Can't we all just be Christians and all love one another and sing Kumbaya, my Lord, around a fire? Um, and yes, to deal with an elephant in a room means that we might be disliked, means that we might be unpopular, but we're not called to be popular. We're called to lead and we're called to disciple. And it challenges, it has challenged my need for acceptance and approval, and it often is counter to our own families of origin. However, if we don't address the elephant, we have abdicated, and Peter Scazzaro says this interestingly enough, we let somebody else lead, and we give the power to somebody else. And lastly, we lack the skills. How many of us saw elephants being dealt with in a healthy way growing up? Most elephants in the family are ignored or treated abused or treated harshly. We didn't observe mature elephant dealings in our family of origin. So the ability to clarify expectations, to speak honestly and clearly and listen and to have a fair fight um, have not been developed. But we can develop them and we must develop them because in churches there is conflict and so many people um, haven't had a good experience with conflict in the church. Jesus had conflict all the time. You will have conflict in your church, in your team, in your marriage. It's just part of life. It's not um, when we will have conflict. It's how we deal with the conflict. And we can deal with it so well. And it's every time we have conflict, it's an opportunity for discipleship. All right. So dealing with the elephants, just a few things. How to deal with the elephants. Create an addressing elephants in the room culture 
in your church. How do you do that? You start with your marriage. Start with addressing the elephants in your marriage. Sex, intimacy, exactly what we addressed a few weeks ago. The, your past, your emotional needs, if, is there anything that's feeling unfulfilled in your marriage. If we don't address elephants in our marriage, how can we expect for it to happen in our churches? So the courage leaders has to start in our marriages. Have those tough conversations in your marriage and listen to one another. And let's lead a church into authenticity and into honesty and into transparency. Um, uh, we need to be transparent with, transparent with the people who we are leading about our own weaknesses. I've got to tell you that our people know our weaknesses. They know our weaknesses. The great thing about being transparent about your weaknesses, you share with them before they even know, know your weakness. Um, and they're not surprised by it. And it, gives, it creates a culture where people can be honest and can be vulnerable. Um, and, and the world is looking for vulnerability. People love vulnerability. Um, so make sure the leaders in your church know that feedback is an expectation. Train your leaders to receive feedback well and to give feedback well and always do it in truth and love. It's part of the discipleship process that we are all involved in. Number two, um, so dealing with the elephants, create and addressing elephants in the room culture in your church. Your church will love you for it because it will be a church that they grow in. Um, number two, always verify that it is an elephant. Okay, sometimes I have thought it was an elephant and it wasn't an elephant. So if not, always check with another trusted or respected member, team member. Number three, frame the elephant. So we all have, so that's stop and reflect. We all have a first natural response to an elephant in the room. We can either ignore the situation, we can blame someone, um, we can attack out of frustration, um, or I can charge in like a rhino. Um, Mark's much more sensitive than me. Um, so this is what I do. I go to God and I listen and I write. I write down, I vent my feelings, I clarify the situation from all different perspectives and I always do a log and spec check. Okay, so I always just say, God, what was my part in it? Um, did I do something wrong? How did this start? Where did this come from? Is this something that I could have um, done in my grown in my leadership or addressed in my leadership um, and I just write down all the things because it's so important to do these conversations well. Um, all right and I also I write down what the things that I want to say. I always I always write down the opening converse, the opening line um, because to me when you launch into these conversations you've got to launch really well start in confidence um, so then which leads to the next one number four seek wise counsel what I said before I don't have a particularly sensitive style so depending on the size of the elephant sometimes I've taken it to mark I said mark I've got to meet with this leader and address this issue um, 
this is how I'm thinking of saying it, or this is... And, and he often will go, no, Ros, just frame it like this. And so many times it has helped me. Um, so, yeah, if, you, if you're not as good with it or you lack skill, just run it by somebody and get some maturity around the process. And number five, the conversation. Um, have the conversation as soon as you can. Um, make a plan and stick to it. Share. So these are the things in the conversation. You've got to share directly about the issue. You've got to ask for a response, listen to the response, and you've got to bring it to a close. Um, okay, so when you share, don't be uptight. Just be relaxed. Don't chicken out halfway through. Sometimes I've chickened out halfway through. I'm kind of the issues in front of me. It's all written down, and they're talking, and I'm thinking, actually, this person's such a beautiful person. I'm not going to bring up the issue. I'm sure it will go away. Um, and um, so don't do that. I've learned not to do that. In, in my God time and the time that I was sitting down with God and process and checked with Mark, what I've written down, my gut feeling, is right. And you go away and you want all the truth to have come out. Um, so be straightforward about the information. Even if it is unpleasant, don't tiptoe around it. Um, name the elephant, be direct so you've got actually something to address. Um, okay, once you've had the opportunity to share, it's really important that you ask for their thoughts. What are your thoughts about this matter? Have you got any frustrations? Tell me what you're thinking. And then they, they open up and they um, yeah can share from their perspective. Um, and then you can discuss the, the issue that once was forbidden. You can talk about it. Um, okay. And you listen. It's very important to listen there, not interrupt. And then you can go back and forth. And the last thing is bringing it to close. Uh, memories of an event, they say, are shaped by the moment where the emotion peaks and by how things come to a close, regardless of how many road bumps are hit along the way. You know, uh, one thing with Mark and I, when we've been talking about issues in our marriage, he's always said this. He said, Ros, we, all got, we always have to finish in a soft place. And I've carried that into our leadership, talking with our leaders. We can be robust. We can go back and forth. I can listen um, to what they're struggling with, and they can listen to my issues, but we finish in a soft place. Um, so make a plan together for how the issue will be tackled going forward. Um, and when people leave feeling like you are invested in them and the questions were addressed and the next steps are clear, um, the elephant is unlikely to continue. Um, so ensure good closure. And I just want to um, finish with this. You know... I'm so glad that people in my life have been brave enough to address elephants in the room in my life. I love them for it. I love truth. Um, I've come to a place in my life, I love truth. Um, encouragement's great, but when people speak the truth in love, I actually grow a lot. And when I was, and, it, and it's been life-changing, some of the conversations people have had with me, um, I thank you for their courage. It has been life-changing. When I was, when my daughter was in year 10, I grew up in a family. When I was young, my mum had a breakdown and was diagnosed with schizophrenia, so I grew up very closed and very independent. And I was determined not to do that with my own kids. I just wanted to be very open and warm emotionally, but... Um, 
with my first child, it really didn't turn out like that. And I remember we'd been shopping for her formal dress. She was in year 10. And we pulled up outside our house. We had the dress. And she said this statement. I turned the car off and she said this statement to me. She said, Mum, do you think we're close? And so really she was addressing an elephant in the room. And I've got to tell you, leaders, I was really tempted to um, brush it under the carpet because I knew this was a big issue. Like, this was a lifetime issue for Ros there. And I just wanted to say, yeah, Beck, but it'll do. Do you know what I mean? I love you. I've taught you about faith. I've looked after you. I crack jokes. I sing randomly. Um, it'll do. But I didn't. I said to her, um, no, we're not, Beck. We're not emotionally close. And, you know, so it started on this journey of me learning to get emotionally close, not, with, not only with my children, but with my husband, with, with my team, with my mum, heal the relationship with my mum. And it was a life-changing comment that this 16-year-old made in the car. And um, I'm so glad she did because it unravelled me. But... Um, I got unraveled and I let God speak and I did the hard yards and I looked at the elephants in the room um, and I'm a different person <laughs> because someone had the courage to address an elephant in the room. And so don't have any no-go zones. Don't even have any no-go zones with God. Just let him go there. Let the Holy Spirit speak. And, you know, when, I don't know, you know, that beautiful psalm, David says, search me, O God, and know me, try me and test me, and let's just be transparent leaders, vulnerable leaders. We don't have to self-protect. That's what I had to learn. You know, the Holy Spirit said to me, Roz, you're trying to protect yourself. And I said, yeah, and it's not working very well. I'm getting really hurt. And he said, that's because where in the Bible does it say that you're the protector and you're the shelter and you're the fortress? And I said, nowhere. It says, you're the refuge, God, and you're the fortress and you're the protector. And so he said, well, what are you doing? <laughs> so you know, I had to ask God to forgive me. I said, God, forgive me for myself, protect. Forgive me, think that I, because it was an illusion. It was an illusion. Forgive me, God. You are my protector. You are my refuge. I am not going to protect myself. So I just want to pray. Let's pray. Father, Lord Jesus, you were so vulnerable. You hung on a cross, half naked. You didn't defend yourself. You trusted your Father. God, you are God of spirit and truth. And you call us to be brave and to lead in spirit and truth. And Lord Jesus, I know the journey bit by bit and I'm still learning. But help us to be courageous leaders. We want our people to be authentic. We want our people to not just be Christians. We want them to be disciples. So, Lord Jesus, teach us to be people that are authentically being discipled. God, speak to us about our blind spots. 
I pray we won't have any no-go zones. Strengthen our marriages. I pray we can be gutsy in our marriages. Have the hard talks with our kids, our team, with you and with our partners. And we thank you, Father. We don't want to live in illusion or pretense. We want to live in truth because the truth sets us free in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message from Life Source Christian Church MP3 Audio Lounge. We invite you to visit us online at lifesource.org.au to find out more about our church and to also access other free resources.